Get the credential you need to control the risk of Legionella and other waterborne pathogens in building water systems. Become an ASSE Certified Legionella Water Safety and Management Specialist so you can crash that Legionella party in your pipes. Guided by the world's expert Legionella party crasher, Dr. Janet Stout, Special Pathogens Laboratory, and IAPMO give you the first and only live virtual interactive ASSE approved certification training. In just three days, you get the knowledge you need to sit for the ASSE 12,080 exam. Our ASSE certified teaching team has already trained more than 400 professionals with one of the highest pass rates. Time is running out to register for the last class of 2022. This class will be October 3rd through 5th. Group discounts are available. To learn more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash special. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash special. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and you are joining us today right in the middle of Legionella Awareness Month. Each and every August, we talk about the topic of Legionella to try to give you better information so you can have better conversations with your customers. And today we are finishing the interview with Russell Baskin of Tower Water, who lives in New York. His company's in New York. He has customers in New York. And as you probably know, the laws are different up there when it comes to how they deal with verifying Legionella bacteria. And we learned a lot about that last week. We're continuing to learn from Russ this week. But before we do, I've got a couple of things that I want to remind you of. The first one is my favorite thing to talk about. It's AWT's annual convention. That's gonna be September 21st through 24th in Vancouver. I'm gonna be there. So many of you are going to be there. I can't wait to see you there. And I also want to remind you that as you register for that, if you are a business owner, you want to make sure that you register for the Business Owners Conference, which is taking place one day before the annual convention. So if you are a business owner, register for that because you are going to get so many extra items that you wouldn't have gotten just from the convention because people are coming together as business owners and sharing best practices and best ideas. And you're going to meet people that are going to be able to answer questions that you have about running your company. Now, we do stuff like this all the time in the Rising Tide Mastermind. That's why I built the Rising Tide Mastermind. But I know not everybody's in the Rising Tide Mastermind. So this allows you to start getting some best practices outside of your company. And if you have not adopted a philosophy of looking outside of your company to figure out how you can do things better, how other people have built the mousetrap that you can bring back and rebuild your mousetrap, you are spinning your tires and you do not have to. So I urge you to experience this through the Business Owners Conference, which is one day before the AWT conference. And if you're wondering all these dates because you didn't write them down, don't worry, my staff did that for you. You can go to our events calendar and we have all of this listed and it will even take you where you need to go to register for anything that we mention on this podcast. Something else you might wanna put on that calendar is the Water Pro Conference. That's taking place in National Harbor, Maryland, September 26th through 28th. And that is all about networking, technology, and education around water. To find out more of that, please go to our show notes page, and we will have all of that there. And then finally, the Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies is having their conference October 30th through November 2nd in Savannah, Georgia. That could not be a better place to be. And if you are in the drinking water industry, this is probably a conference that you want to check out. So go to our show page and we will have all of that information for you. And of course, 
when you are learning from other agencies, when you're learning from other people, when you're having conversations about better business practices, about Legionella, you are getting better. And that's the whole point of being in this industry. If you were ever bored in this industry, you are doing it wrong. You should never be bored. There is continuous improvement available all around you. You just have to look for it. And those are some ways that you can start doing that. Another way that I know you've already started is listening to our friend James. Here he is. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about choosing a cycles of concentration set point for cooling towers and boilers, or as Trace likes to say, concentration ratio. Back in March, we thought about how to calculate the cycles of concentration in this series. Now, let's think about how we choose the set point. What will limit how high we can concentrate water in a cooling tower or boiler? What is the basis for these limits? How do you know what the limits are? What guidelines do you use? How does the chemistry you apply to a system impact what the upper limits may be? What water analysis should you run on a system in the future to ensure you are staying within your limits with no problems? Take this week to think about choosing the set point for cycles of concentration or concentration ratio. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's thinking on water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. James, thanks for that thinking on water. You really get us thinking, and that gets us better. And as we get better, the whole water treatment community gets better. Well, let's get right into our conclusion of my interview with Russell Baskin. So with that, Russ, so you you learned, Bill Pearson pleaded with everybody, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, and everybody said, yeah, right. And of course, we're all enjoying a long hiatus after 188 came out. You got a month after it came out. Correct. So had you read Ashray's 188 by that time? No, did not even have a copy of it yet. So you got a letter, you probably went online and you bought a copy, I'm imagining. Exactly. And then you read it and you started coming up with a plan. You kind of outlined it, but what did you have to do to get in compliance? And then what do you wish you would have done if you knew this was coming to make getting in compliance easier? Right. So the first step was to quell the emergency, right? Everything was emergency order at that point. They didn't actually jump into the plan yet. They let you know that there is a law coming that's going to require you to make a water management plan. But the step one was do this emergency order. Then they put a temporary law in place to move that to, that was August of 15. They said there's emergency order and you will have an ASHRAE 188 cooling tower water management plan by March of 2016. So they did give you a little time to get a water management plan, but uh, you know there weren't very many people that were building water management plans in 2015 when this thing came out a month before. So literally, I had to get a hold of a lot of different people, people that knew about water management plans and how to put them together. You need to get your resources in order. You need to start. um, There's plenty of things that you should start doing today so that you're ready for an emergency tomorrow. And we can discuss those going forward. But there's a lot of plans that I would have done differently had I known that you know, something was coming within the next, you know, six months, I would have been totally prepared for that, right? I remember you sharing a story and you said, what I'm getting ready to say would have been so easy if you would have correlated the data because you probably already had it or it was easy to get. But then because you had just a, such a finite amount of time to get it, it made things so stressful. And what I'm referring to was tower serial numbers. They wanted all of those. Yeah, model numbers as well. And guess what? You'd be surprised how many towers you have that don't have model and serial numbers at all. Not an easy thing to get. 
They wanted to know operational times. They wanted to know a lot of operational data, how many connected tons. Guess what? If you have a package unit building, you'd have to add up all those small package units to figure out what the tonnage is. And a lot of places, there's more connected tons than there is tons of the cooling tower. There's definitely an array of data that we always get now and we put in a database for, you know, if they ever need it again. Plus, it helps us out, right? If, uh, you know, we're describing a problem to some mechanical contractor and we have models and serial numbers, they can help our customers quicker as well. So what are the top things that we should be recording that if we do get a law that's passed in our area that we have quick access to? So, yes, definitely models, model numbers, serial numbers, number of cells, operational data, volume, recirculation rate, whether there's some type of filtration or not, how it backwashes with city water or tower water, any kind of areas that would cause stagnation. Um, So that would be your trouble areas within your cooling system. Those were the basic basic parts there. You want to know what floors the cooling towers are on and what floors the machinery or pumps and so forth is on. Because inevitably, you're going to have to make a drawing of those systems. And it should be enough that if somebody were to pick up your drawing, they would know where to find your water treatment equipment, find the tower, find the pump stations, and you know have at least an idea of how the water flows through the system. Russ, do they care at all about the chiller, or is it all about the cooling tower? They care about chillers that are stagnant. That's what they really care about. They don't care about the model or serial number of the chiller. They don't care if it's shell and tube. They don't care if it's heat exchanger. They don't care any of those things. What they do care about, they do care about biocides in use. Uh, They do want to see an oxidizer. They do care that you're having some type of corrosion control. They know at least that iron, Legionella likes iron, so they know that. SDS sheets, even some way to contain a spill should a spill happen. And you got to realize that the Department of Health comes into buildings for a lot of, lot of other things, not just Legionella. And I'm guessing just like any other entity, when one department finds an issue, people magically show up from other departments to see if they can find other issues. Correct. So you got to treat these people nicer than you would treat anybody else. It's all about the experience without bribing somebody, obviously. But it's all about that experience that they get. You give somebody a hard time, they're going to give you a hard time. It's the way it goes. So speaking of the experience, what is it like to treat a cooling tower, to have an account in New York City right now? What are some things that you have to do that are different before that letter? Well, in some ways, it's made water treatment a little bit better because it's forcing water treatment companies to go up and actually look at the cooling tower. It's forcing water treatment companies to fix alarms on water treatment equipment and to test that pumps and controls are working. Uh, As far as water treatment companies goes, it's forcing the, the Legionella test within every 90 days, not at 91 days, but within every 90 days. It's forcing a full inspection of the tower, not just looking, yeah, there's water in it, no algae disappear, but they're looking at fill, they're looking at misdemeanors, looking at overflow, looking at water leaks, right? It also talks about operation. So if, if a cell goes down for any period of time, you have to clean and disinfect the system. So it's also talking about twice a year cleaning. So no more once a year cleaning, you must do at least twice a year cleaning. So in some ways it's good for water treaters, but you know, and I know that it's about the level of Legionella in the cooling tower that can be really, really disruptive. And, you know, even today there's no set amount that says you'll have an outbreak at a hundred colonies per mil or a thousand colonies per mil. And, you know, The DOH kind of makes that up. And just a simple greater than or less than sign can cause a huge problem. So in New York, it's basically you have to do something if it's greater than or equal to 10 colonies per milliliter. 
which in Europe it's one. So we maybe we shouldn't complain all that much, but, <laughs> but realize that a lot of testing companies can't test below 10. 10 is presence and non-detect is absence. So you have to find laboratories that can test below that 10 range. And we found out that 25% of our rushing back to customers can be avoided because they have a reading under 10. So Russ, you mentioned some of the, the guidelines, some of the mandates, I guess, that the Department of Health wants you to do. And of course, it's weird with New York because you've got the state and then you've got the city. So I want to ask you about that. Uh, but before we get there, what do you wish the legislators knew about Legionella that us water treaters know? So the legislators really yield to the Department of Health. And if you know anything about the Department of Health or the CDC or any of those entities, they're kind of looking for every way possible to not have a problem. And just like in COVID times, and maybe I don't, you don't want me talking about COVID, but you can talk about COVID. I think everybody's familiar with it. Sure. It's just like some of these things are not practical. They're almost impossible to avoid. And yet we understand their best practices. But first of all, Legionella can come in through the drinking water and infect your tower. It can come from another tower and infect your tower. And you could do everything possible. And there's ways that you might not be able to get under 10 ever, no matter what you do. So you, you have to really understand that there's a practical nature to it. And, you know, rather than just talking to the Department of Health, they need to talk to industry leaders. And I'm not just talking about consultants, I'm talking about the people that actually do the work and actually understand that Water treatment sometimes is as much of an art as it is a science. And what works here might not work properly across the street. So, you know, those are the things that are missed. When you say, when you disinfect, you have to have a non-detect. There's places that you can't get non-detect. And no matter how hard you try, because it's constantly being re-inoculated by something or someone. So you really need to get the practical practical knowledge into it. And fortunately for other states that are starting to go through this, there are some practical people that are talking to legislation and they are sitting in the AWT and they are taking ASHRAE 12080 classes to understand that this is not a perfect science. And, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be breakthrough cases and they're, it's about control, not about eliminate. Well, let's talk about the uh, ASSE 12,080 that you just mentioned. Some people aren't aware of it. A lot of us have already gotten that certification. Who needs it and why do we need to be aware of it? So, you know, in Canada, they just passed just recently, within a month, they, they are making people cooling tower certified to treat water. And I don't know where I just got that information, but I did just get that information and I was totally shocked. But realistically speaking, this is something that you should have and will need to have to write water management plans. Um, you want to be an expert in your field, right? Because if you're not going to be, one of the major companies out there is going to be, and they'll be in, you'll be out. And also it, it elevates your status as of being knowledgeable in the field, just like the CWT does, does the same thing for you in the Legionella realm. Uh, it certainly doesn't make you an expert. It really doesn't. But it makes you be aware of where the problem's going to be, when it's going to be, what you're going to do about it, who should be notified, how do you get the right people to assist you in the problems you're going to have. And it really puts a more practical spin on the Legionella itself. So I think it's really necessary. I would encourage everybody to go in it. And I actually taught part of the first class at the AWT. It, it was really well received. There was probably 30 people in that class. And although it was a little bit difficult because it was our first time through it, I thought it was really practical, hands-on. And uh, the people, we got really good reviews overdoing it. 
So I totally recommend it for any professional water treater. Well, I'm pretty involved in the AWT's training program, and I can tell you that it was very well received and people really enjoyed it. So you guys did a great job. Uh, you were asked with just a couple of months to put it together, and it was fantastic what you did. And I know as uh, the education uh, committee person that we're going to make sure that we offer that at least once a year at AWT. And there are also some other companies that are doing that. We've got some people that advertise on this podcast that, uh, that actually have some classes that you can take online. So if you're not aware of ASSE 12,080, we'll have information. We'll have links on our show notes page. As Russ said, eventually you're going to wish you had it. Otherwise, you're going to be out and somebody else is going to be in. I love how you put that. Russ, let's back up just a little bit because you were meant, or I mentioned, and I wanted to ask you about it, that you've got different laws with the city and the state. What the heck do you do with that? So just like every law, you have to go to whatever's more strict. And New York City is stricter than New York State. So for instance, New York State, the Legionella requirement is less than 20. In New York City, it's greater than or equal to 10. So, you know, in New York, I will tell you, outside of New York City, we run to the 20 rule. And in New York City, we run to the 10 rule. There's also different reporting requirements. So in New York State, you need to report Legionella on a quarterly basis to the New York State portal. In New York City, you don't necessarily have to, but because it's in New York State, New York City is in New York State, you have to do it, Right. What's interesting also is New York State has a domestic water requirement that New York City does not have for healthcare industry. So you really have to be kind of sharp on that. It's very loose and vague, and it's, it's just around pretty much around testing. But you need to know it exists because there is a thought out there that if you know what ASHRAE 188 is, and you know it because you're certified to know it, or you know it because you built a cooling tower water management plan, there is thoughts by lawyers that you are now responsible to let your customer know that ASHRAE 188 is not just for cooling towers. It is for the entire building. So just some food for thought is that you want to make sure in some place in your literature that it says something like that. So at least you've put them on notice that this is not just for cooling towers. Russ, if somebody wasn't familiar with Legionella and they want to just start talking to their customers about writing a plan, is that a good idea? Yeah, if you're not well-versed in it, my first step would be to, A, we never ever tested Legionella without knowing what exactly we're going to do if we find it. So that is a no-no off the bat. If somebody just wants Legionella tested, you're going to say, Sure, I'll test this for you, but realize if you get a positive reading over whatever range you decide it's going to be, and it, and it should be some pretty low range in the two-digit range, right, is that we're going to have to disinfect, clean, sanitize, raise your biocide, do whatever, whatever the protocol would be to do, you're going to have to do it. But getting back to your original question, you really need... You know, as a first-time person out, you really want to reach out to one of these consultants that actually write plans and pay them the first time to go through the whole thing with you. And then you can decide yourself, is this something I'm going to be doing or is this something I'm going to hire somebody to do? And maybe you hire them a couple times and then you do it yourself. In our company, we went to the attorney. The attorney said, you can't write these plans. You're not an expert. And I was kind of shocked by that stance and saying, wait a minute, I've been water treatment for 27 years at the time, 25 years, whatever it was. I've gone through all this. He goes, but how much Legionella stuff have you done? I go, you got a little bit of a point there. So I put it out to a couple of consultants and said, we're going to use you for the plan. We'll do the services that go along with the plan. And then once New York City decided that they know better than the consultants and put a template in place and the consultants don't want to work the template the way because 
They know better than New York City. You have a push-pull relationship here. And finally, we had to bite the bullet and actually write our own plans. So I actually purchased 180 plans from one of our consultants that supports this program. And within a year and a half, I had to convert them all over to what I knew was the, was the right thing. And believe me, you want to use whatever documents the your Department of Health wants you to use because that's what's going to get the inspectors in and out of your facilities quicker. Russ, I love the statement that if you test for something, you better know what you're going to do if you find something. And I think that is the underscore that I want to make sure everybody heard on this podcast, because that's where the fear comes from. Oh my gosh, I don't want to test for it because I don't want to know if I have it. Because if I know if I have it, now I'm expected to do something. And then everybody wants to know who's responsible for saying what it is that you're going to do. Everybody's pointing fingers at each other. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with, you said, and I know we have them too, there are certain locations where you can do everything in your power, but it's just plumbed in such a way. There, there are situations that you cannot clean everything or it's getting in the system in a certain way that you're not going to get zero. So the goal is not to get zero, but I know you've had these conversations with customers as well. If you can't get this Legionella to zero, we're going to get somebody in here who can. What should we be saying to that? I think it starts with education, number one. Explain to them why. You know, I always put it in terms of having a cold, right? So no matter what you do, you're going to get a cold every now and again. So no matter what a cooling tower does, it's eventually going to have a Legionella spike, right? You, you take antibiotics, you take medicine, you get better. You still may have some symptoms lingering around. You may get eventually get rid of all of them, just like you may eventually test non-detect. And you put it in a way that the customer can really understand what you're talking about. And I always look at water treatment and water as if it's the blood in somebody's building, in the blood of the building or the blood of the facility. And that all your organ, your pump is your pumps are your heart. And I kind of I kind of put it in those perspectives. So educating the customer first is the first response. Um, the second response is to get some get some backup, get some backup from a Legionella expert that lets you know that. This, this is not something that I'm just saying or my company's just saying. This is what the experts that wrote ASHRAE 188 actually say. So that's really helpful. And then, you know, be the expert you're supposed to be. So find the problem why they can't get non-detect, right? So find out where that extra pump is that's not running or that stagnant area that they need to eliminate. And listen, if you tell them, You've got to eliminate this bypass here in order to get even think you're going to get a negative or non-detect response. They have to do something in order for this to happen. And once they know they have to do something and they have the education behind it and they have the training, they're usually much less apt to, you know, be worried about it, be worried about non-detect. Let's keep it under a certain level. Uh, When you explain to people that, there's nobody up at the cooling tower. There's no fresh air intakes that close. You're talking about, you know, the engineers of the facility or, you know, an occasional whatever person that's working on something and that you have to let them know that they should wear some N95 mask or something when working around it. It's really helpful. Or you, you know, booster up the cleanings. Maybe you have to do three cleanings a year instead of two. So there's, there's definitely ways to talk around it. Um, at the end of the day, there's some people you cannot convince and you can do multiple disinfections. You can do multiple pipe changes, uh, smart controls, continuous chlorination or bromination. And if it doesn't get to where it's got to get to, or you have valves that are shutting off that don't allow the biocide to get there, you're going to have a major problem. And so will everybody else. It's just if the other company knows better. One thing I will say that you have to be careful about, and I hate to say that, but there are people that are 
unscrupulous out there and they will take samples just to prove negativity and non-detect. And you have to be aware of who those companies are and who those individuals are. And it's sad. It, it puts a, it, it puts a stain on our industry, but let's make sure we're being realistic here, right? Even a company as great as mine, we always hover in that 10% positivity rate. And you know what? It's Murphy's Law. You always get a Legionella hit where you can't have one. It's just the way it goes. And if anybody tells you they only get 1% positive Legionella, either they're lying or they have some unique system that none of us have right now. Russ, how do you protect your water treatment company without throwing the client under the bus? Well, obviously, in in all of our documents, in all of our contracts and agreements, we have statements in there that, you know, this water treatment program is best practices to reduce the chance of Legionella. But we by no means ever say that we're going to eliminate it 100%. Again, it's that training piece. It's again in our marketing material. And that's really what we need to do. We need to prove that we're doing best practices all the time. And there's going to be no, there'll be no time that you're going to get away with one biocide anymore. You need an oxidizing and a non-oxidizing. If that's what OSHA and the EPA and the CDC and everybody else says that you need, then realize that either you're going to use that or you're going to use something alternative. But when, you know, something hits the fan, you might be liable for not following one of those guidelines. The reason I phrase my question that way is because that's why I think people are scared to have the conversations they need to with their customer. They feel like they're throwing them under the bus or they feel like that they're not able to do something. And that that's, probably the case. They're not able to do something because the customer's not doing something. And I try to coach people, you know, let your customer know exactly what's going on through education, better decisions are made. But I got to tell you, I'm sure you know as well, a lot of the water treaters out there just aren't having the conversations that they need to have. And you know what? New York is a great platform because New York has, what are the responsibilities of the building to do, Right. So the building has to has to take bacteria tests on a weekly basis. The building needs to check that the pH, the conductivity, and the temperature of the water and the chlorine or ORP or some biocide addition parameter Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or actually within every two days. So now the customer has to do this stuff. They have a requirement to do it. They also have to inspect the cooling tower on a weekly basis. And they have to record all these things and they're gotta be out for inspection when they come. So if you can bring the regulations from New York to anywhere and say, coming soon to a client near you and you you can get, get them scared that they're gonna to have to do this and get them being proactive. Hey, we're a proactive company. We wanna make sure that you're protected why don't we get this in your budget for next year and start with a plan? If my clients had a plan before a regulation came in, I'd be like, you guys are good. You guys are fine. Don't worry. We'll make the modifications and everything will be just fine. So what if you have to test an extra two times a year? No big deal. But because we had zero and we had to go into complete panic mode. So you guys have a great opportunity to start this process now. And even if everybody doesn't jump on it, guess what? When they start talking about regulations, they're going to remember that conversation and now they're going to jump on it. The, the one thing you should realize is that there could be talk in your legislator, legislative branch in your state right now and you don't even know it. You don't even know what's going on. You don't even know that there's a law pending to be passed. So that would be one of the number one things I would find out. Is there a law on the books or being worked on a draft in the state legislature? Because if there is, you better get a copy and you better take it to an attorney or take it to some somebody that can read it 
and figure out what you're going to do about it. That's really, really great advice. Russ, I think we've all heard after we've explained what could happen with Legionella legislation, a customer will say, when somebody makes me do it, that's when I will act. What do you want to say to that? Well, I say that you have to at least document that conversation. Okay. And, you know, maybe it's a once a year conversation or once somebody changes their conversation, but you want to, you do want to document that conversation. So what we've been doing lately is we pick out our ideal customers and literally tell them about ASHRAE 188, remind you, is not just for cooling towers. And we actually ask the question, you know, if there's no regulation, would you still be interested in doing this? And we've heard the same exact answer that you're saying, well, it's not a regulation. I'm not ready to do it. I'm not ready to entertain it. And then I also spin it a little bit differently and say, if you knew that because you know about ASHRAE 188, that somebody, if somebody, God forbid, got sick on your hot water system, do you know that you might possibly be liable for that? They don't like when I bring that situation up. And then I say, you know what, why don't we discuss this in a couple months? And, you know, when the new budget comes out, right? So, again, you want to push that proactivity. You want to document that conversation. And this is a big, small world that we live in. Once somebody acknowledges it and starts to do it, people like to jump on that bandwagon. Wait a minute. This guy's doing it. Maybe I should look at this. And when you get a champion client that wants to be proactive and everybody wants to be that, that proactive guy, that's, that's how I see it spreading, to be honest with you. Russ, we've covered a lot of territory today. What is the absolute one thing you want to make sure everybody leaves this interview with? That's a really good question. And I'm saying that whether you think it's coming to you or not, you need to know about this, okay? I strongly recommend you talk to somebody that knows. We have great people in the AWT world here that have written these plans. Get one under your belt. However, if you have to steal somebody's plan to get it, I mean, get it any way you can. That's number one. So you know, you know what you're doing. Get ASHRAE 188, the newest, latest, greatest version, 2020, I believe it is, because they've changed it twice since 2015. And also contact your legislative branch and find out if there is an actual law pending in draft in your state. You do those three things. You get a hold of a water management plan and go through it, a hold of ASHRAE 188, and know if something is on the books in your state that would be that would be a great jump start on this whole process. And if I would have done all three of those things and I saw, was able to see in a crystal ball that something was going to be coming, I would have been well, way more prepared. And I would have gotten through this a lot easier than what we had to. Well, dust your crystal ball off. Ten years down the road, what do you think Legionella regulations look like in New York City? Oh, I 100% believe that Legionella in New York City and the surrounding states will all encompass ASHRAE 188 completely. And actually, there's another rule coming out that's going to encompass even more uh, bacteria. It's going to cover more bacteria than just Legionella. I think it's 504, 509, something like this. And I think it's going to spread to domestic drinking water. And the revenue is high, so the DOH are finding, finding people. So they have plenty of money to actually employ people to inspect things. Um, bigger government seems to be a trend these days. So add more people to the government. And it's all buried under a giant health requirement. And you see what happens when health is, health is you know, big business, really big business. So... They're putting tons and tons of money into infrastructure right now and water. Um, you know, they're going to want to keep it safe. And health is on the forefront of everybody's mind in 2022, right? So 
I would think that if COVID wasn't here in 2019, 2020, I guess it was 2020, I would probably think that both New York would have adopted domestic water, Legionella, and probably New Jersey as well. Because uh, it's, if everybody knows out there, only 28% of the cases come from actual cooling towers. 56% of the cases come from hot water. So they have buildings that are sick in New York City that do not have cooling towers. So they know it, we know it, and we're just keeping our heads in the sand. And that's the way, that's the way I see it. Well, Russ, if it's okay with you, I'd like to get a copy of the presentation that Mark and I were supposed to help you with, but somehow you did it all on your own. And share that with the Scaling Up Nation. Maybe uh, maybe I'll put that on my show notes page if that's all right with you. It's fine with me. No problem. Russ, this has been very informative. Again, you are you are giving the gift that you wish you had so many years ago that would have made your life so much easier. And uh, of course, that's just the kind of guy you are. You, you like to pay it forward. So thank you for all of your wisdom having to live through this. But I'm not quite done with you yet. I do have some lightning round questions. So my first one is if you could go back in time and talk to your former self on your very first day as a water treater, what would you tell yourself? I probably would tell myself that relax, it'll be fine if you can't do it. There's nobody else that can do it. So that's it. I will tell you on a side note, I did stop EOS for a few weeks during that. It was my worst decision that I could have ever made. That would have helped me get through the this problem a lot quicker. I just felt that this was the number one problem that we had. And I wasn't ready to tackle one other issue during this time. And that was we probably shelved EOS for three months during this time. What are some of the books that you're reading? So I'm not an avid reader, but uh, this year, Joining the Masterminds has pushed me to read, which I'm very, very grateful for. So the last books that I've read, um, The Gap and the Game was a great book. I found myself in, in the gap way too often. So that was a real helpful book. Russ, if you will, because it's a great concept, how would you explain the gap in the game? So the gap is the difference between what you ideally thought an outcome was going to be and the actual outcome you got. So I'm one of those super high achievers and I'm so idealistic that I probably can never get to where I'm supposed to go. And I never look at how far I've actually gone. And so that's the actual gain is from where, where you were to where you are today versus where you were to where you wanted to be. So, you know, I have to force myself to look at look at the gain rather than the gap. And it's uh, something I struggle with every single day. But the book really, you know, it's kind of like, is your cup half full or half empty? I think it's a, a great concept. Dan Sullivan wrote that book and uh, it was so simple. I wish I wrote it. I mean, it was just, just, just so simple. And then of course the gain mindset is, hey, I didn't have any of this when I started. Look what I accomplished. And I, I was just talking with somebody the other day, and they said, Trace, you're gapping. Stop doing that. So it's become part of our vocabulary. It seems like I'm always gaining when other people are gapping, and I'm always gapping when they're gaining. That's how it works. So I interrupted you. What, what are some of the other books you were going to mention? So the other one was Procrastinate on Purpose. Um, and as you know from our Masterminds meeting, I totally gravitated to this book. The focus of me delegating tasks is one of the hardest things I have to do. I'm, I'm great at procrastinating things. And now I understand there's actually a purpose to procrastinate some things. I've made really good decisions in my life in spite of this book. And I've always thought of my time as being more valuable than money. And that's, you know, that this book actually spoke to me. And it, it, it really gave me permissions to eliminate things in my life and automate things that I, I always knew should have been automated and, you know, made me, made me really prioritize things. 
and and do what's the most important thing first. Yeah, the terminology Roy Vaden, the author of the book, uses is multiplier. So what can you do that's going to multiply your time? And, and that's just ridiculous because we're never going to get any more time. But what we can do is we can do something today so we never have to do it again tomorrow. Or we can train somebody so they can do it so we don't have to do it. Or we can automate it so we don't have to do it. And it's just a fantastic concept. Correct. And I'm the kind of person that always says, I'll do it myself. It takes too long to train somebody. And when you find that it takes one eighteenth the amount of time to train somebody than to do it yourself, it's very eye-opening. I bought, literally bought one of those books for everybody in my family. I thought it was so important. And the last book was the um, Revenue Growth Engine, which is kind of like the EOS of sales to me. That's how I looked at it. It's a perfect outline for setting up your business for success and for growing your business, both both tall and wide. And, you know, Daryl Amy, we actually got to meet him for a little while and answer my questions. And if anybody knows when I'm on when I'm on a call, I'm gonna ask every question there there possibly can be in, in my mind. And surefire he answered every single one of them. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Of course, whenever we read a book, we try to get the author of that book to come on, and we call him a full cup to share on what's uh, what we're learning in the book and ask them questions and find out what the publishing company said was too long and they had to cut out. And Daryl Amy was just fantastic. It was uh, it was a great great interview, a great Q and A. So um, so moving on from that. There's no doubt Hollywood is going to learn about the life of Russell Baskin. When they do, they're going to start writing the script and all the different studios are going to fight over who's going to produce it. When all that settles out and they start hiring actors, who do you want to play Russ Baskin? I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have anybody in mind that you would want to play Wow, you're you're turning turning the tables. Um, I would say who I don't know actors very well. Um, that's why I asked this question so I can learn more pop <laughs> culture, so I can play trivia better. I don't know. I can. I think I can see like Ben Affleck play, playing you, maybe, um, maybe. So, um, I don't know that. I don't know. That just popped into my head for a second. I don't know where that came from. So the funny thing is, is I'm, I'm not crazy about this actor. But he's like the closest thing to a superhero that I can think of. I, I always have these visions of being a superhero. And uh, I picked Tom Cruise, to be honest with you. Okay. Very, you know, he's short. I'm short. He's funny with a dry sense of humor. That's kind of me. And then he's got a lot of energy and a lot of drive in a lot of these movies. And he has some wit to him. So, you know, I, I think that would fit me pretty well. I think your answer is far better than my answer. Russ, my last question, you now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? So again, I'm not a big history buff, but I think in these times right now, I would love to go back and meet JFK. That's who I would want to meet them. I think he would know how to get us out of the mess we're in right now. And, you know, I think he could straighten a lot of things out and make things a lot clearer than they are today. And that's, that's the closest person I can think of. My, my history doesn't go back too far. So 60s is, is pretty good. My, one of my favorite speeches is when he announced that we would be on the moon before the decade ended. I, I just get chills when I hear him say that. And I think it's the best mission statement and report on how we're going to do something with expectations and everything built in. And of course, uh, a rising tide raises all boats where we have the tagline for the rising tide mastermind that came from JFK. So I love that answer. That's, uh, that's awesome. Russ, I can't thank you enough for sharing everything that you wish you knew just a little bit earlier and giving everybody who is listening that doesn't live in your state the opportunity that you never had. Well, I, I really enjoyed coming on here. I really hold the Scaling Up Nation in very high regards. And uh, 
again, this makes me feel like I'm giving something back and I really appreciate the opportunity. As you can tell, Russ and I are great friends. Russ and I have shared a great detail of information and issues with each other. Russ is a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, and we have just got a relationship where we know life is hard and running a business is hard, and we try to not do that alone. So Russ is one of the people that I call on for advice, and he calls on me for advice, And we try to make our lives a little bit easier by not having to redo work that one of us have already done. And then in return, I might take something that he did and refine it and then return it to him. And what he just gave me comes back better to him and vice versa. That's the kind of relationship that we have. And I hope you have a relationship like that. When you have relationships with people, life's just more fun and you get more done. Nation, I'm always looking for new ideas for this show. I couldn't have done the beginning of this month's episode, episode 263, the introduction to Legionella Awareness Month, has it not been for all of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation sending in your questions. That gave me the kickoff for Legionella Awareness Month. Of course, if you have somebody that you want me to interview or you've got some other questions or show ideas, don't keep that to yourself. Go to scalinguph2o.com and go navigate over to our show ideas page. You can also leave us a voicemail of you asking your question and we might play that on the air. And if you don't mind, something you can do for me is you can take two minutes and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. That helps us in ratings and that helps us find new members of the Scaling Up Nation. Nation, I hope you learned this month some things that you can do to help yourself, to help your company, to help your customers around the topic of Legionella. For those of you out there that maybe didn't have any information around Legionella, I hope now you have a whole list of items where you can read up on, and it's now part of your regular conversations with your customer, educating them on what they need to do, and now they can see you as an even more valuable resource than they did before you started this month off. Nation, thank you for listening, and I'll have a brand new episode for you next Friday of Scaling Up. H2O. Nation, the mastermind is wildly successful, and the only thing missing is you. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the group that you have been waiting for and the group that can push you to your next level of success.